Hi there, I'm James Dapache, and this is Coffee and a Case Note for the final time this year. Team, today we are going to talk about an application to bring a derivative suit. And this is an application brought by the plaintiff, uh, the sort of person who normally brings an application. And the plaintiff is the director of a company. Now the defendant, the person who the plaintiff wants to cause the company to sue, is a majority shareholder in the company and is also a fellow director of the company. So it's a slightly surprising bit of backstory for us. The real issue today is that our defendant, that person who's the majority shareholder and who's also a fellow director, is an author. And in 2017, the defendant writes this book. And what the plaintiff says today is, oh, slightly after that, you, the defendant, assigned all the IP in that book over to the company. And so the company is now the owner in the intellectual property in that book. And so the company wants to forge its way in the marketplace and make some money and that sort of thing. And what the defendant says, in essence, is no, that's not right. And so we find ourselves in the position where the plaintiff has to come to court to bring a derivative suit. Now you'll recall that we've spoken about derivative suits a number of times, and they are an attempt essentially to engage with the problem that a company's shareholders are not the company themselves. Or put another way, if you've done wrong to the company, you've only really done wrong to the company itself and so it's only really the company that can sue. And so, in this situation, we have that issue arising of someone who the plaintiff thinks has done wrong by the company, which is the defendant, the plaintiff saying, oi defendant, give us those intellectual property rights. But the company doesn't sue because the defendant, being the majority shareholder and a co-director, stops the company from suing. And so what the plaintiff has to do, noting this is a solvent company, a company uh, whose assets are sort of able to meet its debts as and when they fall due, um, is in a position where it must rely on sections 236 and 237 of the Corporations Act to bring this derivative suit. Put another way, to try to stand in the shoes of the company to go and sue this other person, here the defendant. Now, to succeed, the plaintiff has to meet these five criteria, and some of them are more difficult to meet than others, so let's go through them. Criterion one is the plaintiff, any plaintiff in this position, must convince the court that the company is not going to sue this person, right? It has to come before the court and say, look, here's the evidence that says the company's not going to go and commence these proceedings. And in this case, we have the plaintiff's lawyer writing to the defendant saying, Dear defendant, uh, we want the company to sue you on the basis of this attached originating process. Please confirm that's fine. And as you might imagine, the defendant says, No, no, that's not fine. <laughs> and so based on that, there's that kind of deadlock in decision making. And so the court says, Criterion 1, is the company not going to commence proceedings? The court is satisfied. Y yes, the company is not going to commence proceedings. The second criterion that an applicant for derivative uh, leave to bring a derivative suit must come before the court and satisfy is good faith. They must show the court they're coming in good faith. Now, good faith isn't holding hands and uh, dancing around the maypole together. 
Good faith is merely a genuineness um, in bringing the claim and that the claim is not an abusive process or some other improper, improperly motivated move. Here, what the plaintiff is able to show is that they have a genuine uh, belief that there's a reasonable claim with reasonable prospects of success underpinning it. And if the claim succeeds, then it's likely that the success will benefit the company. And so the plaintiff's able to show all those sort of reasonable things and so proves there's good faith. And as you might imagine, as I alluded to before, you don't have to prove your best friends with everyone in order to prove good faith. And um, as we might speculate, the plaintiff and defendant are not uh, close friends at this phase of the litigation. That's criterion one, criterion two. If we can skip ahead to criterion five, notice. Notice is satisfied and it was satisfied by that letter saying, hey, defendant, we're gonna do this if you don't agree. Defendant doesn't agree, and so the defendant is aware that the plaintiff is gonna do this, so they've got notice. So that's criteria one, two, and five. Criteria four, is there a serious question to be tried? This is an extremely similar, and on one view, identical test to the sort of test you use when you're gonna bring an interlocutory injunction. Um, essentially, the court says, yes, we're satisfied. There is a serious question to be tried here. Um, and that is in part because the plaintiff puts on evidence showing that there's a real contest, a real dispute here. And secondly, because the defendant themselves doesn't put on any evidence. And so the court is left to weigh up uh, one uh, sort of, uh, you know, tranche of evidence from the plaintiff and nothing <laughs> in opposition to it. And the court says, well, look, in this position and noting the correspondence that's been exchanged between the parties, the court is satisfied that there is a serious dispute. There is a real question here to be tried. So criteria one, two, four, and five are satisfied. And that only leaves our rude finger criteria, criterion, uh, criterion three left. And that is, is it in the best interests of the company that the plaintiff themselves be granted leave to bring the derivative suit? And here, there was a real contest between what the plaintiff had to say and what the defendant had to say. And as you might imagine, the plaintiff's argument was fairly straightforward. What the plaintiff said was, hey, there is an agreement in place, or there's very uh, strongly arguably an agreement in place that the company uh, assigned, or sorry, took assignment of this IP or ought to have taken assignment of this IP. And in exchange, the company granted certain benefits onto the defendant. There was evidence that showed the, the benefits were indeed uh, granted to the defendant and those benefits were reflected in the company's accounts, which incidentally the defendant signed off on each year as a director. And so that was reflected in a loan account that benefited the defendant and in other ways as well. And so as the years passed, there's evidence showing that the defendant is taking the benefit and everyone is behaving as if the defendant has indeed assigned the IP from themselves over to the company. And so what the plaintiff is saying is, yes, it's in the best interest of the company now that it has given this benefit to the defendant, it's in the best interest of the company that the company now pursue the benefit that it should get from the defendant in exchange for what it has already given to the defendant. And so that seems fairly straightforward, right? Uh, we've given something away, and so we should get the thing we were promised back in exchange for that, or we should be granted leave to go and pursue that benefit that we thought we should have. What the defendant says in response to that is, look, it's not in the best interest of the company to go to war with its majority shareholder. That is just not an ideal thing. And what the court says in response to that is, well, 
yes, that's right, as far as it goes, right? As a general proposition, it's not great for companies and the majority shareholders in, that, in those companies to be at war, to be in complex and expensive litigation together. But the court finds that that argument does not go so far as to say, because of that, the company should just abandon its claim for this IP that it's already given away some valuable rights for. And so what the court does, after it learns that the plaintiff is giving the appropriate indemnity for any costs the company might incur in conducting the litigation, what the court does is grant leave to the plaintiff to go and stand in the shoes of the company to sue the defendant in order to try to recover those intellectual property rights or to get declarations about the ownership of those intellectual property rights. And so, I hope that discussion assisted you in understanding the criteria involved for applicants uh, for leave pursuant to Section 236 of the Corporations Act. It's been a pleasure chatting about these cases with you through 2023, and I look forward to joining you again soon for another coffee and for another year of case notes. Cheers.